Schaff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This episode is called The Battle of Aotearoa. It was written by press reporter Philip Matthews, who joins me now. Hey, Philip. Hey, Michael. The Battle of Aotearoa. What is or was this battle? Well, for the last couple of years, we've seen quite a dramatic uptake in the use of te reo among Pākehā New Zealanders. They're not fluent. Some are learning. But especially sprinkling Māori words into their own vocab and especially uh, using using Māori place names. And one of those, obviously, is Aotearoa, which is taking on a kind of unofficial name for New Zealand. And it seems to me there's a bit of a backlash to that, and there are people claiming that the name Aotearoa was not in itself used by Māori before European contact. So this story really looks at both sides of that argument. Why is the origin or etymology of Aotearoa an issue? I guess it's about authenticity. I suppose people say, well, it's not a real word. We don't have to use it, and it delegitimizes any claim towards any of the bicultural advancement we're seeing in New Zealand, I suppose. If it's, if it's not a real tradition, then we can just ignore it. It just seems to be the thinking. Thanks, Philip. Now, here is Philip reading his story, The Battle of Aotearoa. New Zealand children were told this story for generations, and it was an easy, pleasant scene to imagine. It had a dash of excitement and suspense as well. Picture the cold blue sea, the clear sky, and then. The story said that the first person to sight the land we now call New Zealand was the wife of the great Polynesian navigator, Kupe. She leaned forward in the canoe as it sped south across the ocean and shouted, Hey oh, hey oh. That meant a cloud, and clouds usually meant land. As they came closer, the people on the canoe yelled in happiness, Aotea, Aotea, the white cloud. Then the abundant bird life and the trees. And thus the land was named, the land of the long white cloud. Aotearoa, as they came to call their home, is how the historian Keith Sinclair put it back in 1959. Saying who Kupe was and what he really did is no easier than saying who King Arthur was, or whether there actually was a King David in ancient Israel. Myths and legends gather around splinters of history to form new narratives, sometimes with a nationalistic or other purpose. There's nothing unusual about that. The adventures of Coupe became part of a myth about a great fleet of seven canoes that sailed to New Zealand from further north in Polynesia. That too was taught for decades in New Zealand schools, in a version outlined in the school journal. That grand, heroic version of the fleet story was largely discredited by historians in the 1970s. David Simmons, the author of a book called The Great New Zealand Myth, was probably the best known of them. But the name Aotearoa? The historical jury is still out on that. Some will tell you that the idea that Māori ever called New Zealand Aotearoa is as bizarre and unlikely as stories about Kupe fighting a giant octopus on his journey across the ocean. And they will point to a very legitimate source, 
The Penguin History of New Zealand by the eminent historian Michael King. The book, which appeared in 2003, is that rare thing, a hefty bestseller about New Zealand history. It's a general history, not a specialist one, and it romps through the story. It can seem like almost every New Zealand home has a copy. But while the public lapped it up, there were critics. University of Auckland historian Caroline Daly wrote in her review that King offers talkback radio callers ammunition in their war against racially based policy. She wrote that line in 2004, in the time of former national leader Don Brash's infamous Oriwa speech, but she also seems to have looked ahead to the culture wars of 2021. The relevant part is King's claim that pre European Māori did not call New Zealand Aotearoa. King called it a myth, quote, popularised and entrenched by William Pember Reeves, who wrote a history of New Zealand in 1898 titled The Long White Cloud. In fact, King added, pre-European Māori had no name for New Zealand as a whole. Polynesian ancestors came from individual islands, he said, and they named islands. So the North Island was widely known as Te Ika Aumaui, although he conceded that some did call it Aotea or Aotearoa but just the North Island. The South Island was Te Waipaunamu, or sometimes Te Waka'a Araki, or Te Wahipaunamu. Stewart Island was Rakiura. But unlike Captain Cook, who sailed around all three islands and immediately recognised them as a set, the great Polynesian navigators did not see the same pattern, according to this story. And, as Daly predicted, King's claim has become useful to those who resist the growing popular use of Aotearoa, which they see as part of a Maorification by stealth, whether it's government departments or companies that want to seem progressive. Take Vodafone, for example. Nine months ago, the communications provider switched the banner on customers' phones from Vodafone NZ to VF Aotearoa. Other companies have made similar moves. But if it can be proved that New Zealand was never Aotearoa, these and other acts could be dismissed as woke play-acting or virtue signalling gone mad. And Michael King, who endeavoured to create an understanding between Māori and Pākehā worlds, has been posthumously roped in as their ally. Take conservative radio host Peter Williams. He told his Magic Talk listeners in 2020 that he'd been upreading King's history the night before and that this book, which is regarded as the best history of New Zealand, shows that, quote, The concept of Aotearoa did not exist in common usage till just over a hundred years ago, and was based on some pretty shonky historical interpretation. Journalist Carl Dufresne, writing an opinion piece titled Maorification of Smiling Zombies in the Australian Spectator magazine, talked about, quote, Māori place names, most previously unheard of by most New Zealanders, and unused even by people of Māori descent, that have displaced official names bestowed by British colonists. Among those names is Aotearoa, which Dufresne said was of dubious authenticity. Historian and former Labour MP Michael Bassett also cited King when he wrote, Māori didn't have a name for these lands, and only came to accept Aotearoa in relatively recent times. Another opponent of so-called Maorification by stealth 
Bassett predicted that, instead of being proud New Zealanders, we'll be expected to call ourselves Aotearoans. Even the Wikipedia page for Aotearoa cites Michael King from an interview with broadcaster Paul Holmes. Children learnt at school, King told Holmes, that the Māori name of New Zealand was Aotearoa, and that's how it became the Māori name. While King never called it a tradition invented by Pākehā, others have taken that from his account. Former New Zealand First MP Dennis O'Rourke is one of them. O'Rourke tells Stuff by email that It is perfectly clear that Reeves especially, and possibly others too, did in fact invent the name Aotearoa for their own purposes, and his was the most widely read history of New Zealand at the time. O'Rourke says that The name was not used by either Māori or Pākehā before it was popularised by Reeves. Neither Aotea nor Aotearoa were used in official documents, including those written in Māori. He continues, Some people like to use the name Aotearoa, even though it is not a genuine Māori name, and has no more status than Kiwiland and similar colloquialisms. While there was little harm in this, it is not respectful of New Zealand and its history. Prolific New Zealand historian Paul Moon says it is correct to say that Aotearoa does not appear in official documents. It is significant, Moon says, that in the various books, articles and journals written about New Zealand prior to the 1850s, no record was made of the country being referred to as Aotearoa. In the Declaration of Independence in 1835, New Zealand was called Nuterini, and in the Treaty of Waitangi five years later, the variant Nuterani was used. In both cases, Moon says, if there was a single indigenous name for the country, the translators would certainly have taken advantage of this and used it. He agrees with the view that Māori had no need to have a name for all of New Zealand. Prior to colonisation, Moon says, labelling the islands with just one name ran contrary to the strongly sovereign character of the Hapu-centred society and fulfilled no political, social or ideological purpose prior to Europeans entering the region. That seems conclusive, but there is another way of looking at this problem which does not rely on official documents. Hi, I'm Carol Hirschfeld, the head of video and audio at Stuff. If you're enjoying our Long Reads podcast, how about contributing to the Stuff Supporter Program? You can contribute any amount you choose, and you can do it just once, or monthly, or annually. Direct support from people like you helps us produce the kind of journalism you're listening to right now. Go to stuff.co.nz forward slash support. Dr. Rawari Taranui has taught at Auckland, Massey and Canterbury Universities and now works as an independent writer and researcher. He was also the first person to get a PhD in Māori oral traditions. The trick, as he explains it, is to learn how to separate historical fact from symbolism. For example, when encountering a story that has ancestors who stood nine feet tall, you do not dismiss the whole thing as a fairy tale. It means that you recognise it as a way of representing mana. Similarly, when an ancestor seems to have travelled supernaturally, such as on the back of a bird, 
That does not mean Māori thought such flight was possible. Instead, it might mean there were reasons to abbreviate a trip from A to B in the story. Sometimes it is history, and sometimes it is mystery, and there is an art to untangling one from the other. Ta'anui says he has between 30 and 40 examples of Aotearoa being used to describe New Zealand between about 1846 and 1861. Some of the key sources are traditions collected by the likes of Sir George Grey, missionary Richard Taylor, and scholar and doctor Edward Shortland. They collected stories independently of each other, without risk of influence or contamination. Gray began collecting Māori myths and stories, and what he called, quote, the ancient traditional poems, religious chants and songs of the Māori race, soon after his appointment as governor in 1845. In one of his publications, he writes about the hero Maui that, quote, some of his descendants yet live in Hawaii, some in Aotearoa, or in these islands. The greater part of his descendants remained in Hawaii, but a few of them came here to Aotearoa. There are similar references in Taylor and Shortland's books. Tawanui adds that there were other early names for New Zealand. Makete was one, Nukuroa another. Even the most basic search of the National Library's Papers Past website finds many references to Aotearoa meaning New Zealand from the 1850s onwards. These suggest older traditions rather than a newly minted word or invention. When the Māori translation of God Defend New Zealand was published in newspapers in 1878, Aotearoa was described as, quote, the old and poetic name given to New Zealand by those who first saw it. It seems like a technical point, but for Te Anui it goes like this. When King drew on the material of David Simmons and others about the Great Fleet tradition, he applied that to Aotearoa and assumed that it too was a myth-making exercise by Pākehā. His own view of King is quite mixed. King was a good historian, Te says, but he had a Pākehā perspective on these things. One problem, he says, is that King who died in 2004, did not read Māori. He believes that King had a love-hate relationship with Māori history, and it's obvious that King's work exposed deep tensions between Māori and Pākehā ways of doing history that mirror current arguments about Western science and Mātauranga Māori. In a famous lecture at Waikato University in 1999, which led to a walkout by some Māori, King talked about how traditional Māori forms of scholarship do not easily harmonise with the conventions of Western scholarship. There can be a conflict between what is written in a textbook or taught in a classroom and what the old people say, King told the audience. He compared the veneration of Māori oral tradition as akin to fundamentalist belief, much like a Christian student who struggles with evolution or the Mormon student exposed to lectures on American history. This was provocative stuff, and it's not hard to see why there were walkouts. Ta'anui suspects that a review by King a couple of years later, of a book by Ranganui Walker, gave him a chance to walk back some of these claims. In that review of a biography of Aparana Nata, King says, It could not have been written without the depth of understanding of Māori language, customs, tradition and perspectives which Walker brings to the task. 
Speaking of Aparana Nata, it was him who wrote in the press in 1892 about Aotearoa meaning all New Zealand in a piece on the origins of the Māori. That was when Nata was merely a gifted young scholar. One other point the Taunui challenges is the belief that Polynesians did not think of a group of islands as a single thing. In fact, the Windward and Leeward Islands of Tahiti have such names. It would be like saying Māori knew all the individual stars of Matariki, but not the greater concept of Matariki. So, what is at stake if New Zealand becomes Aotearoa, officially or unofficially? There are some fairly paranoid views on the right of New Zealand politics. Former ACT MP Muriel Newman asked what the country will be like when it is Aotearoa, and then answered her own question. New Zealanders should take a long, hard look at what's happening in Zimbabwe and South Africa to see the dangers associated with elevating cultural rights above equal rights of citizens, she wrote. There, policies allow the compulsory taking of private land without compensation, and in Zimbabwe, where land seizures have been underway for years, the redistributions have largely been to the ruling elite. Newman wrote that in an article titled Aotearoa New Zealand for the New Zealand Centre for Political Research Think Tank. The online comments were packed with references to Aotearoa being an invented or even fanciful name. Much of them seemed aggressively racist. Dennis O'Rourke, the former New Zealand First MP, is keen to distance himself from any racist opposition to Aotearoa. For him, it's about accuracy or what he perceives as accuracy. I do not approve of the name Aotearoa, he says by email, but not on racial grounds. I think we should use the Māori names for South and North Islands because they are authentic. If William Pember Reeves had not popularised Aotearoa in the Long White Cloud, the name Aotearoa would not exist. It was never the original Māori name for New Zealand. If we are to consider using Aotearoa as a new name for New Zealand, then we need to approve this invention by referendum. The email was sent from holiday, but O'Rourke was also doing a little amateur research. I have just arrived in the Cook Islands, he says. I asked the taxi driver, a native Cook Islander, what the Maori name for the Cook Islands was. He said there was none, and that only individual islands have native names. Same for the New Zealand Islands. In his Penguin History, King closed his chapter, The Great New Zealand Myth, with a summary that could be easy to miss. History, King said, is a pendulum, and the pendulum was swinging back towards a point closer to the myth of Coupe and the Great Fleet that had been discredited by historians a generation earlier. While it was not quite rehabilitated, King wrote, the old myth had, quote, a renewed degree of plausibility. But unfortunately, the softening of a view about myths and history did not include a new perspective on that lovely, but still contentious word, Aotearoa. That was The Battle of Aotearoa on The Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Philip Matthews and produced by me, Michael Wright. 
This episode was mixed by Jack Price. Stuff's podcast director is Adam Dudding. If you listened via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening.